1: They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to Tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
0: Tethered Nation, you guys have heard me talk about the saddle setup, Tethered Saddle Setup, their Predator Platform for quite some time. This is the second full season that I've used it. Um, I've killed out of it twice now, uh, and really what it has helped me do, I figured instead of, you know, I've given you guys specs, the weight and how light it is bulky free that it is and so on and so forth. But I thought today I would give you a little bit of a testimonial, um, as you know, I will credit, you know, and, and there's been a lot of people who've had a lot of influence on how I've started to hunt and how I've kind of evolved as a hunter, but I would say there's been no piece of equipment that's been more instrumental in me making that evolution than tethered saddle setups. Um, the reason I say that is, is that, you know, I'm a guy that works like a normal job, like everybody else out there. And so when I go on hunting trips or I'm hunting, you know, I have limited time to get, to get stuff done. Um, you know, so I typically want to hunt more aggressively and that's something I've challenged myself with the past, you know, year and a half is to just, you know, to be more aggressive and don't lay back. Um, and the saddle setup has really helped me do that because I've spent much more time with boots on the ground scouting than I ever have in years, years past. And that's really because, I'm not carrying a bunch of bulky stuff into the into the timber with me. And so I don't mind. It's not a hindrance to carry my saddle setup. And that way, when I find fresh sun, I can get into the tree and I don't have to leave and come back and drop scent. You know, if once I see it, I'm in the tree hunting it. I'm not finding it, setting up a stand, taking the time to do that, then leaving and coming back and hunting it the next day. I'm literally getting into the tree and hunting it at that moment. And I can't say that if I was using any other setup other than a saddle setup, specifically tethered gear, that I would be making the same strides I'm making now and becoming a more aggressive and a more mobile hunter. So if this is something that you're interested in, if you want to challenge yourself to be more mobile, more aggressive and go find deer instead of letting the deer find you, then I would suggest that you go to tetherednation.com and check out all their saddle gear. I guarantee you, if you get into it, you won't be disappointed uh, and you'll probably become an addict like me. This podcast is brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm actually having a little bit of Skull Brew Coffee this morning while I record this. Uh, If you're not aware of what Skull Brew Coffee Company is, it's a business that my wife and I started Uh, In order to give back more to conservation, we roast premium coffee and it ships out within hours of roasting, guaranteeing that you will get the freshest coffee available. The kicker is that we donate 10% of our proceeds back to conservation. You choose where the donation goes at checkout. Check us out at SkullbrewCoffee.com and let's do some good together and help protect wild places one cup at a time. Visit SkullbrewCoffee.com and pledge your support of conservation today. welcome to the truth from a stand deer hunting podcast brought to you by skull brew coffee Company I'm your host Clint Campbell and you are listening to episode number 163 today I'm joined by my buddy Zach Farmbaugh of the hunting public we're talking public land ground and pound so stay tuned All right, all right, all right. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you're doing well. Hope you are feeling fine. I'm, I'm actually not feeling fine today. I actually was at the uh, Great American Outdoor Show in Harrisburg with my buddies from Exodus. I was hanging out with them. I'm actually recording this up front to put it out on Wednesday. I'm recording it on a Sunday uh, to try to get it in because I have a crazy busy week this week. But I was planning to be at the Exodus booth all day today, and uh, I was there all day on Saturday. I just started feeling, I think I caught the show crud early. That's kind of the thing that happens is when you go to some of these shows, you know, you're meeting so many people, shaking so many hands and, you know, and it's great because you're talking deer and it's awesome. Uh, but you inevitably, you know, or at least I do just about every year, it seems like I ended up catching some type of flu, cold, stomach virus, you name it, you know, I end up contracting it while I'm, while I'm there. So before it hit me full fledged, I decided to drive back, drive my, my rear end back home uh, before it kind of hit me full force and knocked me in the dirt. So with that, I'm not going to have a super lengthy upfront here uh, for you guys. We'll just kind of get ready to jump into the, uh, the, the topic at hand. But you know, I do want to give a little sense of what Zach and I are going to talk about here. Um, I'm going to break this up into two parts because he and I talked for a long time. It was a little over two plus hours that he and I had a conversation. I will say that, you know, Zach was in the airport when we were talking, he was on, I think on his way back from Arizona. Um, and so there is a little bit of audio interference during the course of our conversation. So apologize for that. But I think the content of the conversation is really, uh, really good and really cool. So I wanted to make sure to put this out. So really, for me, I know I've mentioned it in the past, you know, or I've at least alluded to it or began to allude to it. That you know, this year, and, and I'm doing this a little prematurely because John and I haven't done our full like look back analysis of like what our season was and so forth. And hopefully. He and I will be able to do that soon because we're going to be, you know, actually seeing each other face to face next weekend. Um, But, you know, with that, I've already started to kind of evaluate last year and and what I need to do to get better um, and what are some things I can work on. And the biggest thing for me is as I've, you know, over the years become more mobile, more aggressive. um, And I was actually just talking to Cody DeQuisto about this yesterday is that, you know, in order for me to be able to kind of hunt however I need to in whatever the situation is, you know, I need to be able to kind of hunt all styles. And that's kind of how I think about it. Like, I'm, I'm a guy who likes mixed martial arts. You know, I like the MMA and stuff like that. And what I really appreciate about their approach is those dudes are, they might have an area of expertise, right? So they might be, you know, an expert in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. That might be what they're you know, what they're known for, for example, but they are dominant whenever it comes to kickboxing, boxing, grappling, like whatever the case is, like they put all these pieces together to make them lethal. I kind of look at it the same way when I'm hunting. Like, so if I'm just really good at, you know, hunting from a saddle, I mean, that's only one part of, of being able to get the job done. Cause not every scenario necessarily, especially when you start getting out into some of those plain states, like you're not always going to have a tree to get into. Um, and so ground hunting, still hunting and stuff like that are, you know, becoming increasingly more important to me because I'm finding and coming up on setups and I'm finding that some of these setups are really good because a lot of people aren't hunting that way. And so they aren't intruding in those areas. They may pass through, but they're not setting up, you know, days on end trying to hunt those specific spots because there, there are no trees to get into. And so deer, what I'm finding get really comfortable in those places. So my whole idea is that this year, you know, I try to pick one thing every offseason that I want to get better at. Last year was, you know, switching to a, a back tension style release with my bow and spending the offseason getting familiar with that and shooting with that. And, um, you know, and it was successful. I was able to kill a deer this year with it, and now it just feels second nature to me. So this offseason, what I'm really trying to focus on, and it's a little harder because it's not something I can just actively practice in the offseason, but, you know, probably something I need to learn about and try to think about while I'm walking through the timber is actually hunting from the ground. And that's kind of why I had Adam Scheffler on. Or I'm sorry, not Adam Scheffler. He works for ESPN. Jared Scheffler, um, uh, on the per- previous episode, is because they, of course, have a very distinct style and a way they get it done in the ground. Super, super aggressive, right? I don't think you could find a more aggressive group of guys that hunt ground and pound style. And so these next two episodes, you know, wanted to bring Zach on because Zach and just all the guys from the hunting public, you know, have that kind of uh, adaptive approach where they, at times, will be in a saddle. They, at times, will be in a tree stand. They, at times, and I don't know, I see them in tree stands very much anymore. Um, And they'll they'll hunt from the ground. They'll still hunt. So they're actually using all their bag of tricks, you know, depending on where they're at and what the setup requires. And that, to me, is more, you know, probably more what I'm looking for. And so I wanted to have Zach on because I wanted to talk about those things and things you need to consider, um, how you evaluate setups, you know, and just, you know, whenever you're, scouting, you know, looking for certain things that could be good for a ground setup. Um, you know, these guys, of course, are well-documented with their with their ground hunting and their, and their scouting. We also talk a little bit about throughout this podcast just, like, the importance of, like, freestyle hunting and freelance hunting. And, you know, we talk a little bit about, you know, and I know Zach is, you know, a big proponent of this, but, you know, off-season scouting is great, but we probably a lot of times put too much priority on it. I'm guilty of that, and that's one of the things this year I'm trying to make a change is, yeah, I want to go out and I want to I want to I want to pound some ground in the off because I got a couple pieces that I've never been to um, here in PA that I want to check out. But what I don't want to do is I don't want to spend a bunch of time. I kind of want to make my way through quickly. And we talk a little bit about that, just picking up like the fine points of what it is I need to know. That way when October comes, I'm able to kind of head to those spots, evaluate it quickly, and move on to the next spot. So you're really kind of merging like a speed scout, uh, you know, uh, freelance hunt style of you know approach you know, in, in, in that scenario. So that's really what Zach and I cover in these two pieces, um, holistically, and I'm probably going to break it into two chunks. Um, but it's a really cool show. Um, super appreciative of him coming on. He always drops a lot of great knowledge and I think you guys are gonna, gonna, gonna really dig it. But before we jump into this, I just want to say as always, I appreciate all y'all's support and thanks for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of The Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. Today I have a gentleman who probably needs a little introduction. We had him. He's a two-time offender on this uh, program. Okay. He's the the man who brings his own ghillie suit hat with him on every hunt. It's the uh, the man to myth, the legend, Mr. Zach Farinbaugh. What's going on, man?
2: Oh, not much. Just uh, trying to get my voice to recover a little bit. So, apologize to, to everyone if I sound a little kind of over us. I'm just getting over some sickness. So hopefully, right. hopefully I can make it through.
0: Right. It's has uh, got, got a little bit of the ATA, the ATA plague maybe. Man, I don't
2: know. My, my girlfriend had it back around New Year's and then thought I was in the clear. And then all of a sudden I started feeling real bad right around the 5th of January. And I've had it since. Now it's been, been weird kind of on and off. But the voice is the one part that's struggling the most. Right. Hard to get about Right. It's hard for a guy who talks a lot.
0: (laughs) I know, right. I know. I got I got the same thing. It's uh, you know what's funny, man, is like on some especially whenever I go on hunts where maybe I'm by myself or whatever, you know, not don't have a partner with me, and you go for days and you don't talk to anybody, I get this weird feeling like I don't know that I can talk. And I'm, and I yeah. wonder, you know what I mean? Like you start to psych yourself out a little bit. I'm like, I wonder if I can actually mm-hmm. speak any longer.
2: <laughs> I talk to myself enough to know that that I am still good there. That you're all good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Nice, nice. Well, man, I'm sorry I missed you at ATA this year. I was hoping to get out there and and, and run into you. I always like running into you, chat chatting you up. Yeah. But, uh, wasn't able to make it. So, but I think this is a good. Consolation prize because there's a ton of stuff I want to cover with you today, and I figured you know I know you said since you're hold up in the Arizona or the Phoenix airport, maybe that this would be a good time since you'd have a little bit of a little bit of time. But where uh, before we dive into all the hunting stuff, where are you uh, where are you headed? You out uh getting ready to catch another hunt?
2: No, nope, I'm done. We're done for the year. Yeah. uh Well, for I guess for the 2019 season. Yeah, um, we've been kind of all over the place, and time kind to. Of, a little bit of a break there's obviously still some seasons open but at some point you gotta draw the line or right. you know you never get any time with friends and family so That's looking right. forward to that actually it's just you know one of those things i think from an outside perspective is overlooked as far as like you know we get to do get to hunt a lot it's awesome and i and I do truly love every every day that i get to go hunting but there's a you know part two where all of a sudden you're like man i'm I miss being at home, so I'm looking forward to hanging out with my girlfriend and, you know, hanging out with family and, some and stuff that don't necessarily get to hang out
0: with much during the hunting season. Right. Yeah, I hear that. For me, it's like I make no bones about it. I love going on hunting trips and hunting as much as I can, but I often hit about, I think, like a two-week mark usually is about mm-hmm. when I'm doing it straight where I don't get a break, like a day off at all. That's like usually like my mm-hmm. threshold where I'm like, I'm like, all right. Um, I need, I need a day. You know what I mean? Just to like recalibrate. Maybe talk to another human about something other than, other than hunting for like a half hour.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not always a bad thing to have diversity in life.
0: <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, someone somewhere at one point said something about balance being key, and I, I think maybe they weren't crazy. I yep. think there was some truth to that, but we're a little imbalanced. I agree. We're a little imbalanced on this show as we all dive into, dive into hunting. And I want to definitely dive into, you know, a lot of ground tactics and stuff. Um, but before we jump into that, man, I know you were out West on a hunt this year. Um, you know, I want to talk to you a little bit about that. Was that your first elk hunt slash Western elk hunt?
2: Yeah, it was. It was um first time I'm ever hunting Colorado and I've been, uh, going to Colorado since I was like a freshman in high school. My aunt and uncle moved out there. And I uh, actually, actually spend a lot of time out there now because my girlfriend lives in Colorado. So I've right. uh, always wanted to hunt in Colorado. it it's kind of like a lifelong goal to try to get out there and do some sort of hunting. and finally came true this year. And yeah, i like in total 17 or 18 days. And of uh, archery Elf and whether I was coming or filming and, um, you know, it's pretty awesome, man. Like it's something that I always knew I was, you know, one thing to do. And, uh, I, I really don't see it. I'm going to stop doing it. The right. thing that's the, uh, I was actually talking to somebody today about this Like, thing that I'm most impressed with is the, uh, I guess the ability to get a tag and go right. you know, uh, my whole life. Growing up in Ohio, it's like, you know, I'd, I'd look at guys that were out hunting and they're putting in preference points for years and years, you know, sometimes 15, 20 years. And that's not what elk hunting was in my mind for honestly a long, long time. And then I just recently started finding out these all kinds of opportunities to actually do Western hunting as a non resident. And I think that that's pretty awesome and something that I want to explore more of and, and just show more guys like. You know, that had the mentality that I did that, hey, this is possible and, you know, it's totally doable. So, right. I think uh, that's the coolest part about it for me.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I managed to take my first trip on what was, I guess it was three years ago now. I went to Montana. I have a buddy who lives out there mm-hmm. and uh, it was just all. You know, public land. We ended up getting an elk. He and I were at full draw on the same elk. If it broke to the if it broke to the right, I was shooting it. If it was broke to the left, he was shooting it. It it broke his way, and he ended up arrowing it. And you know, we packed it out. So it was a successful hunt in that regard. But you know, I had probably I had opportunities at three different bulls, and just you know, that one being the last one. And then had a I was at full draw on three different mule deer, and just couldn't you know get it. Just couldn't get it done. But I don't know. It was he and I were talking not too long ago, and I was like, "It was that trip that um, it, I don't know." It changed my perspective on like hunting and just the outdoors and and stuff like that because yeah. you just see things out there that you don't see in other places. And I'm not I'm not poo pooing you know things that we have whether it's in Pennsylvania or Iowa or Ohio or wherever, um, but there's just something about mm-hmm. the West and that landscape that just you know kind of gets in your soul. I think. Yeah, no, I think.
2: I, I I agree. It, it definitely like opens your eyes to um, different cultures. I always think any type of traveling opens your eyes to different like of cultures. But you know, the other thing that I think uh, hunting elk does is so really it makes everything a lot smaller when you go back east. They okay. uh, can go and can look at a map, and I think it even became even easier to break down white cell property. And it's like, okay, this is like this is easy stuff, you know, if I was just looking at braille a damn mountain, like, now I can <laughs> look at the little brawl and pretty much figure out exactly, like, you know, exactly how I want to approach it, and I just, I guess I feel like it opened the door to, to look at stuff, uh, maybe a little bit of a bigger picture, cover a little bit more ground in a day, um, and I just think, that, again, I mean, make you know, getting new experiences, I think ultimately builds your uh, skill set as a hunter, you know, experiences everything, like, yeah. Uh, you know, a a adding upcoming to the resume, I think it's uh you know, it's not it's it's included in experience. It, even though it's not white tail hunting experience. It's gonna help you in the deer and turkey woods and, and anything you pursue, I guess.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean I think for me it was um it, it was just learning a new species. Right. Like you just and when you do that you have to be so observant. And I think sometimes whenever we're whitetail hunting, especially if you're a diehard whitetail hunter or whatever, like a lot of times you start overlooking things because you start getting, you start getting sloppy, you know? Oh yeah. Um, Or you're overthinking it. Or, or yeah, exactly. Or the opposite. Exactly. So, you know, so, you know, headed out West, man, did you have, like, what were your expectations for that trip?
2: Well, so how it played out kind of, I was, I was, Gonna go. The original hunt was, um, well, let me take a quick back, step backwards. So, we and my buddy Ben, who lives in Ohio, I've hunted with him quite a bit uh, since he started PhD. Like, he's been on the videos and stuff. So, if anybody listening or has watched the videos, may recognize that name. But he, uh, him and I have been talking, and we're like, man, we gotta stop talking about Elfman. Let's just do it. Let's do a Western trip, whether it's elk or mule deer. Like we got to stop talking, about it. we got to do it. So we kind of made the decision that uh, we were going to do some hunt and started leaning towards Colorado elk, and just because of the the you know I spend a fair, fair amount of time out there. And, uh, you know the tags easy to get, and there's tons of opportunities as far as places to go, and then. We ended up getting invited uh, to go on a hunt with some of the guys from Born and Raised. So Cody Kellum and Wesley Smith, uh, we're going to go to Colorado and basically try to help us and Zach Sandow, who works in our act. They were basically going to just, like, try to help us out and help us build a tag. Right. Um, ended up going out there with them for, like, um, met up right there at the beginning of September and we had it for like ten days. My I guess my expectation going in was like I just want I'm just hoping to learn as much as possible because, you know, obviously I'm about to go into some like, territory that I've never hunted in and going for a species that I've never hunted. So right. I tried to educate myself as best as possible. But I also didn't want to overdo it in, in the fact is, like I think sometimes again it's easy to like read Mm-hmm. kind of comes into that overthinking type of mentality of like you read into something too much and you don't create your own style. Right. And I think with whitetail tail hunting over the years, I think there was a point where I was reading into too much stuff and like trying to of mimic other's style and of creating my own style. So I kind of went into it like, it's it like, you're not, not, overdoing the, you know, reading about out, you know, it's like, I'm just going to go in there and just like, <laughs> Obviously learned from Cody and Wesley and Zach. who have also done it before and, uh, just, uh, you know, try to pick up on as many things as possible and just go in, read sign and then kind of create a style that, you know, works for me. Right. And, 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 and Ted, sorry, I didn't also, I also didn't mention Ted thing earlier really was with us too. Right. So it was, uh, so yeah, Cody, Wes, Zach, Zach and Ted. and, went out there for that first 10 days and like, I mean, the stuff that I learned from those guys, I felt like I'm I'm was, you know, um, was a pretty priceless, right? Like those guys obviously have a lot of experience and, you know, we had a, several encounters and had a bunch of close calls, you I know, mean, I was full draw a lot of times, had bowls, I mean, had bowls anywhere from like 50 yards in, you know, in, in range as 50 yards in, 12 yards with no shot, like wow. just tough tough situations where you're like, man, it's like, like something got to give at some point. So, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it felt like we were having these good, good encounters and just not pulling anything off and, uh, ended up going. So I went with those guys, got back and went, went and like, you know, I guess came off the mountain for a couple of days and then my buddy Ben came out because we were, you know, had been planning on going. And, uh, he came out on like the 13th, I think. Mm No, well, then on the 13th, we kind of got in there, like, got to the area, hiked in and, uh, ended up, I mean, long long story short, ended up having, uh, the unbelievable hunt. You know, all those times where everything went wrong, everything just went right. We just felt like we had the perfect moves. We had the perfect conditions to get where we wanted to and ended up killing both, you know, I, that was a pretty special moment for me. I mean, there was my best friend who I hunted 100 West, going up for forever, and, uh, you know, had my buddy, new, an old friend and a new friend with me, my buddy Colin, was also with us, and, like, it was a pretty incredible experience to have gone in, you know, learned a bunch with those guys, and but what, you know, what we learned, you know, to work without, you know, those guys that had the experience, and it was, you know, it was just fun, rewarding, and, uh, I, I I just love that. I love the physical aspect of thing too, and you know, just the the never stop. You never stop moving, or you never have to stop moving. You know, you just right. continue on. You continue to hunt, and we were backpacking too, so like we were just always on move. Like we we ended up we ended up where we ended up, and we slept right where we where it got dark on us. You know, <laughs> that was cool, so. Nice. I don't know. Just I, as far as expectations, you know what though, like my expectation ultimately was to learn as much as possible. And like, I really, really do think that, you know, we, we did like, you know, uh, between myself and Ted and my buddy Ben and and like, you know, for our first year, I'll coming the four of us, like we learned so much that I think we could go other places and, you know, really you know, continue to have right. good, good, hunt, you know, at least when we're in the game, which was, was ultimately the goal to walk away from the season and say, okay. I think I can get myself in the game, right? Um, because obviously, before you go, you don't know. You don't <laughs> <Right>. know.
0: <laughs> exactly. You could walk. You could walk in and like come out palms up, like I don't know what just happened for 15 days. You know, it's easy enough to do. I was pretty lucky. You know, similar, not not totally dissimilar from, you know, your your experience. You know, I was really looking just. You know, my goal was just to have an experience that I've never had before. That was really like. And, you know, I didn't have any other, I want to kill this or that or whatever. And I get out there yeah. and my, my buddy was like, you know, you know, he was like, if you see a bull, are, are you going to shoot it? You know, how big does it need to be? And I was like, dude, I was like, if it's, if it's a legal bull, yeah. I was like, I'm killing it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, I'm not yeah. out here trying to, trying to, you know, trophy hunt or prove anything. And, you know, he's, he's no. a dude who, who lived in Pennsylvania, grew up in PA. Then he moved to Montana because he wanted to hunt and went to school out there. And now he works for like the forestry service and stuff like that. And pretty much spends his days in the mountains. And so I had a pretty good guy to like, you know, learn from because he manages to kill elk every year. And, um, you know, he's just one of those dudes that lives out West in Montana that you would look as like a quint- quintessential mountain man type of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, we would yep. leave for a hike, you know, and we'd maybe do, I don't know, 10 miles in like a given day or 12 or whatever it is. He would slam a mm-hmm. bottle of water and, and eat, like, a granola bar before we would leave, he would take no compass, no GPS, no water, (laughs) no pack, and would just go. (laughs) Hilarious. Yeah. And I was just like, and meanwhile, I have, like, a, a, you know, a bladder full of water, a GPS. I'm like, you know, I'm ready to get lost for five days if I have to. Right. You know. Yeah. But, but, uh, so I'm interested, man. Like, do you feel like, you know, that Western hunt, you know, considering that you do hunt from the ground for whitetails a lot, do you feel like that, that was a good analog for you, at least like foundationally, like a starting point to kind of to go from, since you do kind of, you know, use that spot and stock kind of method even when you're white tail hunting to a degree?
2: I think it just translated from white tail to else very easily, but right. Like there are some things that and 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 don't get me wrong, I, I still appreciate this, but, like, there were times that I'd be, like, I'd look at Cody and I'd say, like, dude, we hunt white tails from the ground. Like, we're good. You know what I mean? Like, like we got, we got, we know how to stick to the shade or, like, you know, use the cover to our advantage, use the wear, you know, there's certain things. Um, you know, with that being said, there were certain times when moving up. you know, obviously Cody, Cody and West there to say, hey, like, move up right. was important, but it was, like, but it was like the, the getting cover and, 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 uh, you know, knowing where, knowing where your body is in relation to objects out there, is just, you know, just something if you've never hunted from the ground, like it's going to be a tough, it was going to be a tough learning curve. Um, you know, you, you, get carried away and all of a sudden you don't know where your bow limb is when you draw back and you get your one opportunity and you bounce your cam off of a tree limb. Like, I mean, without that experience, like you're not. Without the experience of hunting on the ground, before you're, you're more likely to and I think it just made it a lot easier going into the outfield. I felt like you know, it's just it's just no different than any other type, any other hunting that we do, you know.
0: Right, right. So I want to get to you know ground hunting. I think that was a good that's a good transition into like the the main topic today it was you know, it, and just in full disclosure, it's you know, I, it's, it, while I was out in Iowa doing doing my my rut hunter my rut trip this year i had an opportunity to hunt from the ground once and i've been looking at setups even around pennsylvania where i'm scouting you know different pieces of public and stuff like that you know looking specifically for setups that might be conducive to the ground just because my kind of thinking is is you know if you look at the majority of whitetail hunters like a lot of them are hunting from some type of elevated platform whether it's a stand whether it's a saddle or whatever you know, and, and I've become a lot more mobile probably over the past three years and being more aggressive. And in doing that, I've had a lot better encounters with a lot more mature deer and the type of deer that I want to try to want to try to consistently hunt. And yep. when I went to Iowa this year, I you know, it was one of those things where I didn't know really anything about the piece that I was hunting. So every day it was just kind of a hunt and a scout, a hunt and a scout or a scout and a hunt, like every day for 15 days. And, you know, I ended up checking out a piece that was like a CRP field. With a draw in the middle of it. And then the other side of that draw was CRP onto like a, 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 timber line. And I was trying to get to that timber line. I ended up actually, you know, jumping, uh, you know, what looked to me at least as, as, as a booner, which that was the first time I've ever seen one <laughs> on the hoof, which like about like freaked. I, I actually cursed out loud at it as it ran away. Like it was, <laughs> it was that shocking to me. Um, and then I realized like he had seen me coming, like I had the wind in my face, but he was bedded with the wind to his back and was looking in my direction. I had I stopped and I glassed. I just never I never picked him out. And so as I started mm-hmm. making it down to that draw, he saw me and, and, and took off. So I found where he was bedded. He had a doe in there with him because I ended up bumping her out as I got closer. And so I ended up going back and hunting him from the ground the next morning, hoping that maybe he would come back the following morning. And I ended up seeing a, you know, I rattled in a young buck that came in, but not the one I was looking for. And it was just, it was just such a cool way to hunt because I grew up hunting from the ground and still hunting with my dad. Like I never hunted from an elevated situation until I was probably in my Um, thirties. And then, you know, and since then it's like, I've really only hunted, you know, from an elevated position. And this was like the first time with a bow in my hand that I was actually hunting from the ground. And so, you know, I wanted to kind of be able to use that, you know, as an arsenal or as something in my tool belt, you know, toolbox to use on different hunts. so I want to get like your perspective in your mind, you know, what are the benefits that are clear to you of hunting from the ground versus other methods that you've used?
1: Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever and with fishing booker you can experience it too no matter where you are discover your next adventure on fishing booker well first i would first
2: start by saying that like while i think this is a very important tool to have i don't think that i mean if if you don't want to do it don't do it um you know, it's not for everybody. Some people really love being stationary. Um, I just got to a point in my hunting career where I was bored, and I didn't feel like I was, like, really challenging myself in any different way or just, like, trying anything new. I was just doing the same thing that I always did, and, and that was just getting in the tree stand one way or another. You know, I, I kind of did the same thing that you were explaining where, you know, got more mobile for a couple of years there and was doing a lot more hanging hard, but ultimately I was just, like, I feel like I want to get more, uh, just even more aggressive. Like I want to. <laughs> I really just want to be the guy that like what my friends look at and they're just like that guy just like is like insanely aggressive. Like nobody's gonna be more aggressive. Right, but, uh, right. And that's kind of just like <clears throat> I guess what I <clears throat> what I was kind of going for when I first started doing it. it just to it do something different. It, it's, uh, I know it can work. You know, obviously people didn't always have tree stands. Right. Um, and, and, and the other thing was, is like, uh, I was watching, I've been watching for years now, white tail adrenaline and yeah. if people haven't watched white tail adrenaline and they have any interest in ground hunting or just want pure entertainment, like watch that stuff. It's awesome. And I was watching those guys do it. And, and, um, I was like, man, I want to try this. Like, I want to get into this. So started doing it, and I've been having success and honestly having way better success than I've ever had doing any other type of hunting. Um, I think the benefits are because you're always learning. You're learning way more um, than you you would ever learn um, being stationary. Um, when you're covering ground and you're moving on the ground, you're still hunting or, or whatever. Like You're just seeing so much of the deer habitat and how they interact with, you know, different vegetation types or terrain types, you know, that you're just, con- every day you go hunting, no matter what, no matter if you spook every deer in the, in the woods or, or don't see any deer at all, like you're just seeing, you're seeing so much more signs, being uh, able to take some time that you, you, you've seen and, and relate it to past experiences or, you know, use it for future experiences. But I think that right out of the gate is like ultimately the, 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 the most beneficial aspect of having off the ground. Like I can, I can honestly say the amount of miles that I put on in a year compared to a guy who even is going as far as he can go into public land and setting up, it won't even be close. Like I'm going to cover way more miles because right. I just never stop. Yep. And I really don't, I've got to a point this past year, I didn't set up, man, I like barely. Did a couple times, but like just never even said that I like just not, you know, maybe stopping for 45 minutes or an hour, you know, last light kind of get to a spot where you're looking glass in the or morning or something, but like, you know, never, ever just like getting content, and just setting up to me. That seems like, and I, and, I, and this isn't true either, but it's like just the way that my mind is working with it at this point. It's like stopping seems like just like giving up, right. like setting up seems like giving up to me. And I, and, and again, I'm not, I'm not trying to dog any other type. Of I'm not.
3: Right. It's just
2: like my personality is like, you know, I can't sit for very long. Like I'm sitting in this, I'm sitting in this corner right now in the airport and I'm like, I'm starting to really move my hands a lot. And I'm thinking here at some point i will probably stand up start pacing because that's what I do. You know, like right. it's just in just life. I move around a lot. I'm pretty, Pretty, uh, I don't know, I uh, just antsy type of guy. but so being in one spot at one for too long really wears me down. And, and I, I, I just, I guess if I, one, one thing I would say to anybody listening that's on the fence about it's like, you don't have anything to lose,
3: Right.
2: you know, you're going to mess some things up and you're going to try to, uh, you're going to try some things that aren't going to work. <laughs> and then you're going to have a buck. You're going to come in and you're going like, to oh shit. Got my bow laying on the ground. He's fifteen <laughs> yards looking at me. Right. You know, and you're not going to be ready. And you're going to mess that up. But the next time, you won't mess that up. Right. And it's the same thing that you went. It's the same thing you went through. and learned how to tree stand hunt. So there's a learning curve when you tree stand hunt too. You make the same mistake. You know, you draw too early, spooky a deer. You know, you you try moving when you know, or, or you but you know, you maybe you. You know, everybody's made the mistake of having mud on their boots when they're in the tree stand and like mud falls when you start to move and you see a big buzz. he's been. Yeah, now that's happened. That, those things, there's a learning curve there too. The thing that you have to remember when you're going into trying a new style of hunting is like, you're going to fail at it, but when you, get pissed and you fail and you get pissed and you start talking about it, you're not doing yourself anything good. Everybody makes mistakes. Right. And, and here's the beauty. Here's the beauty of the ground hunting. You're going to actually make more mistakes. And then you do when you're in the tree stand, but you're going to have a hell of a lot more encounters than the guys sit in the tree stand because you're always going to be in, that, in the game. Like there's going to be a hundred times too. where You look at signs and you think, ah, this isn't quite good enough. I'm going to move up. And then you bump something. Maybe you bump a and you want to shoot. But ultimately in learning every time that happens versus if you were to set up, let's say you find that sign, you're like, ah, I'm going to just, you know, just set up here. I mean, you don't see anything. Maybe you didn't go that extra 50 yards and bump that bus. Yeah, you didn't bump anything, but you also didn't learn anything. You didn't see anything set up on signs that, you know, wasn't, you know, you were unsure about. Does that make sense?
0: No, it, to- it totally makes sense, man. And, it's, it, and it's, it's funny because you mentioned something similar, like, different topic, but, like, I think it's the same principle whenever we spoke the last time, and it's actually something I kind of live and die by now um, to a degree is, you know, you you had mentioned you know that you know you don't want to bump bump a buck necessarily especially if it's the one that you want to kill but that sure. real time information that you just get is going to be the best information you will ever get about that deer because you knew where he was at what time he was there mm-hmm. what the weather conditions were you know how he exited you know was he bedded was he browsing you know like you just got all this information that you can put in your bank to have a successful hunt later and that was it's been really since you know, partially since that conversation that I've adopted, like, a way more aggressive style of hunting than I've ever had before, where <laughs> now my kind of approach is, especially on like, if I'm on a larger, it's dependent upon, like, what type of piece I'm hunting, because there's some pieces. Yeah, I, I want to
2: say I would like to drop one thing in that I, I was going to, I'm trying to remind myself to say, but I always forget, it's like the one thing about this style and in my situation, too, is like, I hunt public lands. And I like have a lot of acreage to work with in yeah. every situation. So so keep that in mind if you're listening. Like don't just don't, don't just be like, well, oh, I can do that on my property. And and here's an, I, I want like to loop back to that though at some point too. Not to, sorry to cut you off, but I just wanted to get that out there.
0: No, no, that's I mean that's a fair point because that's kind of where I was headed. Was you know for me, you know I have to kind of decide. You know w- how aggressive I'm going to be, dependent on the piece that I'm hunting. Because, like for example, some of the pieces I hunt around the suburbs of Philly might only be sixty-acre public land parcels. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, or a hundred-acre public land parcels. You know, I have a couple that yep. are in like the three thousand to four thousand, do- you know, three thousand to four thousand acre range, and those I will hunt completely differently. Those small parcels. I'm typically making like a strategic move where I've found, you know, primary scrape areas, you know, next to side cover, you know, next to bedding cover. And I'm probably going to strategically hunt that spot because I know that that's likely where I would have an encounter. The bigger pieces, like whenever I was out in Iowa, it was it was boots on the ground and walk until I ran into sign or I kicked deer up. Like that was, yep. that was it. You know what I mean? It's like I walked into the timber every morning going there's really only a handful of outcomes I'm going to have. I'm either going to kick deer up and and jump them or I'm going to kill one. Either way, I'm going to, either way, I'm going to find them. You know what I mean? That was was my approach. Right. And, and I did, I had great encounters. I had great shot opportunities. I ended up passing a bunch of decent deer and ended up, you know, eventually tagging one, you know? And so it was just, you know, once I committed Mm -hmm. myself to that aggressive approach, it's like I've had way better encounters and that's why for me, Looking at like the ground game, you know, isn't, it's like, I don't know that I would commit to that's the only way I'm going to hunt necessarily. Cause I do enjoy yeah. hunting oh. from an elevated platform, but it's going to be dependent on where I have the best yeah. opportunity. Cause there's some areas near a swamp that I have that are just so thick that you can't hunt from an elevated position. Cause you'll never get a shot. Yeah, You know what I mean? Right. But there's a yeah. definitive pinch point with two oaks that drop every October on the edge of this swamp between this huge rock and like the swamp reeds that is like a like a highway is run through there and I'm like oh. this setup is a ground setup all day and it's in the nasty stuff. So, you know, no one else is hunting, hunting back there. Right. There's right. no, there's nowhere to get a tree stand or anything elevated in there. You know what I mean? So you can almost guarantee yeah. you're probably going to be the only person hunting that's hunting that section.
2: So, yeah, and I, I think, you know, I, I think, uh, another thing, I, I feel like what you just said kind of relates to, um, what I'm about to kind of dive into a little bit is uh, one of the things that I hear a lot of people say is you could never do that here, you know, cool, huh? But you could never do that here. And I, I 100% disagree. Um, I think that there's definitely areas where it may be a little tougher, but you gotta, when you're doing it, just like can't go, I guess, maybe this would even be taking a little bit of a step back, but like, i go like, oh, going hunting now. I don't, I don't like necessarily have a spot in mind. Mm-hmm. Just go hunting. Just go out. I'm like, no worries. I'm not trying to get there 45. I'm not trying to get there in the exact moment and, and walk in for 35 minutes and get to this spot and whatever. It's like, i go hunting now. i like, just play it the way it plays out. Now, again, that that's that going to take some experience to feel confident doing that because three years ago I wasn't doing that, but I think in, I think in, you know, in 15, my hope is in 15 that it's even more laid back. It's like going in completely clear mind. I'm just going hunting. Mm -hmm. I'm going to read sign. I'm going to look for deer. I'm going to listen, you know, and and I think you can go into hunting with that mentality. You know, you're going to, you're going to be able to do the ground hunting, the skill hunting, the spot and stock and, all different types of habitat and terrain. Um, the scale is just going to change, right? Like,
3: right.
2: If I was hunting in, like, for example, if I'm hunting in New York and I'm hunting off the ground, you know, I'm getting myself in positions where it's all timber. You know, most of the public land is timber, and getting into areas where, okay, a lot of guys are hunting these transition areas between, you know, most of the tree stands and hunter sign refinements between these two thickets, well, I'm going to get in that thicket, right. you know, like I'm going to get back in the middle and, you know, maybe I do find a place to go revisit and set up, but usually what ends up happening is happens is is like end up getting an opportunity before, um, you know, before I even have to go back and set up. So like, I guess what I mean is, is like, I do a lot of what I consider like still hunt speed scout mm-hmm. and a lot of that, like my pace can change. Dramatically, I mean, on the ground hunting, like one minute I can be full sprint, carrying the canoe across the mud flap, and then you know paddling as hard as I can, and then the next minute like creeping in a snail's pace for two hours. You know, it's like it's all relative to the situation, and I think you know people people look at it and they think, oh, I can never do that here. What this, that, and the other? And it's like. I really do think that it just is something as you do it more and more, you start to nail down like, and I'm, and I'm by no means perfect at it. I mean, I, I really do hope that in, you know, 10 years or whatever, any, you know, down the road I hope every year I continue to improve on it. Like, you know, there's times I'm sure I'm going way too fast through the woods and when I should be slowing down right. and, But, you know, until I make the mistake, I'm not going to learn. So it's like, just continue to, I don't know. I don't know. I guess I might be rambling a little bit here, but just getting, getting the experience doing it and then trying it. It's like, it can be done everywhere, man. It really can be. I got a buddy in, I got a buddy in Pennsylvania, mountains of Pennsylvania has shot like three bucks off the ground, one with a rifle, two with a bow and they're mature bucks. Nice. They're not little piss head bucks, like they're big bucks. Right. But like it can be done. It's yeah. just a matter of like you know, getting out there and giving it a try and continuing to learn.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think I think that goes with any any style. You know, what I mean, I think that philosophy is like whether you're hunting from the ground or whatever the case is, it's like Yeah. You just sure. got to go out and make and make those mistakes. I mean, that's one thing, you know, uh, you know, having a having a podcast and whatever I get the you know luxury of running into guys like you or Dan Enfold or Johnny Eberhardt or whatever, like yeah. guys that I look at that are like accomplished dudes that I look at and say, I could learn a lot from these guys, you know what I mean? And they, mm-hmm. to like each one of them, there's like a handful of things I've started kind of narrowing down that makes like those guys that I look up to m- that makes them a really good hunter. And like, the one thing is, is like they're extremely detail oriented. Like they don't ever yeah. lose. They don't ever pass an opportunity to ask the question. Why? Number one, yeah. you know, Number two, they typically are pretty aggressive and they have different aggressive styles. They're d- aggressive in different sure. ways, you know. And then yeah. the other the other one is is that they have a very high threshold for failure. Like they are willing to go in and fail to get the information to learn, to evolve and adapt. And like, and if you can't stand failing, you're going to have a hard time stomach and hunting because it's like a 95% fail rate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you fail. Like
2: it's easy, it's honestly just easiest to say that you fail like every time yeah. like, you do. Yep. I mean, it's like, the, you know, you think about, okay, so, so I've, I don't know. We were, we were rough count the other day and it's like, I you mean, know, I've hunted hundred of film that for 70 days or boy, like, wait, like what? I don't I don't even know. Maybe a hundred d I'm a lot of days this fall, you know, in the 2019 season. Right. And the days that we had success was like five. Mm-hmm. So if we're talking, if we're talking a hundred, if we're talking, to, I mean, I don't know that it's true or not, but hundred hunts and I, and I, and I shot or filmed getting shot five animals,
0: like that's 5%, dude. <laughs> that's <Right>. not,
2: <laughs> you failed it. You almost failed every time.
0: Like, right. Well, that's, you know,
2: and it's just like,
0: the other thing is too, you gotta, is like,
2: you gotta appreciate that failure.
0: Right. And the other thing is too, is like guys or you know, <coughs> girls, you know, setting the wrong expectation where it's like taking you for example let's just use that hundred and f- that hundred and five you know uh five yep. you know successful hunts number it's like you're out in the timber doing it a hundred days a year where the you know the the guy yeah, on the man. street is he's hunting maybe two weeks out of the year based on how much time he has yeah. off you know what i mean it's like totally you, of course totally. you're gonna fail you know what i mean like you'd have right have to think about it in context of scale you know what i mean it's like right. um uh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, for me, the exciting part is the failing part, man. Like, cause to me, that's like mm-hmm. where the, that's where the meat is. You know what I mean? Like I, I mean, not saying, I mean, look, I want to wrap a tag around a, around a buck every time I go out. Sure. I mean, that's my, that's my intent, but you know, there's some hunts where I come back and I'm just like, I mean, there was an encounter I had in PA this year over this primary scrape area that was just like, it was a buck that I had found on a camera on this piece of public I'd never been on before. I just happened to throw a camera up by happenstance. I did kind of what you said. Like one day I just went and I speed scouted it on a hunt uh, on an, it was in the an evening and I found this little like Oak Grove uh, next to this, like, you know, gnarly kind of side cover near the swamp. And I found like a few scrapes that just got opened up. And I was like, man, I was like, you know, in like two more weeks, I was like, I'm going to come back and check this. And if there's a bunch of scrapes open, because at that point I think there was like one, I was like, if I come back and there's like five opened up, you know, I was like, then that tells me it's primary scrape area, side cover. I'm hunting it, you know? I came back, like, two weeks later, and it was completely tore up, set up, and the buck that I had seen on camera and wanted to try to get a shot at ended up showing up at, like, very last light. I never got a shot at him, but, like, I was, like, maybe more jacked about that hunt than almost any other hunt that I've had, you know, arrow- arrowing a deer, because, like, I'd put the puzzle pieces mm-hmm. together on a piece I'd never been on before, you know, and part of it was, like, the first fail I had was I should have hunted it that first night I found it, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that was the that, that was the fail.
2: Yeah, well, and one—I guess one of the things that I was gonna ask, like, just because this is like, this is usually what ends up happening to me is like, I get kind of jacked up too, and then there's this like, that getting excited turns to yeah,
0: because
2: I'm like, I know there's something that I could have done differently to where I could have killed that
0: bus. hundred percent.
2: Like, you know, I, and it's like then I'll sit there and I'll think about it for, for, I mean, for a lot of times a whole year, right. <laughs> like i i I deal it with turkey too I do it with with uh with deer you know and it's a weird it's a weird thing where I'll just like you know there's a lot of time between hunt and then you know the attempt to do that same hunt or that same style hunt right. the next year and it's like you'd be surprised at how many days that encounter goes through my head or that one mistake that I felt like. Had we changed or had we done something differently, maybe we would have got a shot or, yeah. or maybe, you know, maybe, you know, you know what I mean? And it's just like I feel like there's – so so in that situation, what was your like? What was your moment where you're like, shit, yeah, I should have done something different because I bet you have it.
0: Oh, man, it was literally while I was watching him. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was watching him pop out, and I knew I wasn't going to get a shot opportunity because I'd lost – I was actually starting to tear stuff out of the out of the tree. I was actually pulling, like, mm-hmm. you know – you know, pulling off my, you know, my gear, putting my pack on and stuff like that and was getting ready to, you know, get ready to climb down. And when he popped out, I thought to myself, because when I got in there, I saw the scrapes and I was like, man, I was like, I feel like he's going to come out at this area. And there was a split second where I was like, man, you should get back in the timber, like 20 yards off this little, off this little grove. I was like, that will probably be the best opportunity. Right. And I was like, no, nah. yeah. I was like, because if I don't, I was like, he's going to come out to one of these scrapes and, check, and scent check these scrapes and, and probably tend them. I was like, and then I'm going to have zero shot opportunity if he comes out where I don't think he's going to come out. And so I ended yeah. up hopping into the tree. And that's exactly, I mean, it was a definitive path that he was going to come out because he had it tore up with rubs. And there was a bunch of brush that was just all broken down in there that you could tell he was in there browsing and thrashing brush and stuff like that previously to where it's like. You know, there was two sets assigned to read. There was, well, there was three sets assigned to read. There were there were fresh acorns that were there. This was like, I want to say maybe October nineteenth, I think something like that. There were fresh acorns mm-hmm. on the ground. There were probably six scrapes in this like small area. There was a definitive trail headed back into the back into the brush that was all thrashed. And so those were the three pieces that I was kind of reading, and I was like, man there's a triple trunk tree that's right there. I could slip in with the saddle and get between them. And that way I've got really great breakup and I should be almost bulletproof. I was kind of giving him the wind a little bit too. Um, mm-hmm. I was like, or I could dive back into that cover about 20 yards and try to intercept him. that way I don't get dark deered. And that's, you know, yeah. sure, sure shit is what, it's what happened. So Did yeah, you, I, I still think about that hunt, like almost, I mean, they're probably at least three times a week. I think about it.
2: So, so here's, so I think moving forward, it's like, yeah, I'm not experienced. I mean, you're going to sit there and you're going to think about that for, you know, 365 days until you get to, you loop back and you're going to think about it, you know, you know, maybe, maybe once, once every, every day or every couple of days, you're going to think about that, but it may not, you may not think about it for like five minutes or even a minute, but it's going to slip your mind. You're going to think, ah, that's a bit, you know, right. so you're going to think about that, but then I think that the difference between like making the same mistake and then doing like improving is if you keep that in your head, it's good to think about that because as soon as you get yourself in a similar situation or maybe even the same exact situation in the same spot next year, you're not going to make the same mistake. And if you do, if if you, if you do push a little too far, then you're going to learn the same way, Right. you know, you're going to find that perfect sweet spot. And again, hopefully in 15, in 15, 20 years or whatever, when you've been bell hunting for, you know, a really long time, you can you can honestly look at that spot and you'll know exactly what to do in that situation. But the beauty of bow hunting and the beauty of you know more specifically like aggressive mobile hunting is is no one situation is the same as the other situation. You're just trying to make a bunch of situations come together and put them into the moment. And I think you know as it plays into ground hunting, it's just like constant little decision making. You know that's that's one of the fun things too that. You know, I, 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 there's a lot of benefits and, and, and I honestly, I think about like, I like shot angles on the ground. I mean, I like, um, I like not having a big scent I'll think your scent goes far on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously I talk about, you know, continuing to move and, and just learning constantly. I think there's tons of benefits. The list for me can go on and on, but from a, from a, from a, uh, uh a fun standpoint, it's like I never have to stop like wow. making a decision. Right. Where I feel like sometimes you get into a stand and you post up, and you're done, baby. You're just gonna coast it out till dark and like <laughs> I'll be honest, I'll be honest. That's boring that's as boring as it could be to me. Like it really is. Right. Like all of a sudden no more decisions are made. It's like now I sit here and I you know, I look believe well, blowing and then, you know, I think, man, I wonder how I'm trying to look at my binoculars and see how like fresh that scrape that's twenty five yards away really is and it's like where I feel like on the ground, it's just a constant, it's a constant game. It's like, you know, it's it's like a, it's like a, it's like a board, like the difference between like a board game where like maybe, you know, you only make like a couple moves a game and it's really slow moving versus a board game where it's fast paced. You're constantly making decisions, you know, or like cards, I guess, you know, you know, it's something that's similar. Like I just really enjoy that aspect of like, it's a constant game. It's just like, what's next? And I love that.
0: Right. I mean, you, you mentioned... Maybe... You're going to ask about... What's
2: you're I mean? gonna ask about the scent cone. You're
0: gonna ask about the scent cone. <laughs> well, that's one. That's one things. We can go to the scent cone, man. Like, let's, 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 let's do that. I got. A, I got a couple things, but the one thing I will say, though, just to kind of you know piggyback off of what you mentioned, and then we can go to the scent cone, is uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's one of those things. I feel like whether you're hunting from the ground or whether you're hunting from a saddle or whatever the case is, that whole idea of moving and learning, I think is mm-hmm. just, is is so is so important. Because just what you were talking about, like when you, I mean, it was interesting. No one's ever asked me what I learned from that hunt because I'd learned it like in that moment, you know, I knew what I'd done Mm -hmm. wrong like that in that specific moment. And so when I went to Iowa, my whole thing was, was to like continually, you know, don't second guess my decisions. Don't let that one choice where I made the wrong decision force me to second guess all my decisions. Right. Because it's going to be a progressive learning experience. Right. And so I can't get myself in a situation where I have, you know, analysis paralysis. Right. And so the way I ended up killing that deer that I killed was I'd played cat and mouse with a specific deer for a couple, a couple days where I missed the same deer twice within like four days. Um, And then I finally just was, you know, I was scouting. I was finding them again. I was scouting and I was finding them again. And I finally was like, I was just on the outskirts of where I thought I needed to be. And this is where that learning came in where like, I had seen him over a scrape and I'd missed him. I had moved a little closer in, you know, and then he came back out, but he got stuck on the shelf. And like, after I saw what happened, I realized again, another learning opportunity where he had a weird encounter with me the day before. And so he wasn't going to come the whole way out. So he stood at the top of the shelf. And what I figured out, the reason he did was that deer lived in that area. I found his beds and stuff like that in there. That He knew if he stood at that little shelf at, the, at that draw long enough that the war, the wind would eventually swirl and he would get a nice little thermal draw up that little slope yeah. he would consent check that whole area. Now, he didn't bust yeah. me, but he just had enough to where he was like, mm, I don't feel good. And so he just backed right. out, right? And so I went back home that night to, to my cabin. I'm laying there like, why did that deer do that? And that's when it dawned on me that that's what he was doing. And so then I was like, all right, I got to switch it up. I was like, I got to I got to run rough shot through that area, find his sign, find where he's been bedded. And then I got to figure out how I'm going to kill him in there because that's where he's safe. That's where he's going to spend time. And he had those in there. And so I ended up just scouting like the next day over a couple ridges. And the truth was, I only ended up in about 150 yards where I was at previously, but I was along the edge of this draw that I could use as like a barrier because he would have to expose himself. And I could cut the mm-hmm. wind just right to where he thought he was going to have the wind. I ended up jumping a buck out of the bed, tried to bump and dump. He didn't come back. Two young bucks came through. And so the next day I was like, you know what, that's the spot. And I walked through, scouted my way in, jumped you know, jumped into that spot. And I literally put an Instagram post out on my Instagram stories with the picture of a tree and with an arrow it says, want to kill deer here. And where do you think I arrowed that deer? That exact spot where that arrow was pointed. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so it was like, (laughs) it was that learning from that blown opportunity over that scrape in Pennsylvania that led me to like, continue to dissect, dissect, tweak, read the sign, read the sign, make decisions, make decisions. And then voila, you know what I mean? And I wasn't scared to bump deer. I wasn't scared to push deer. I just knew I needed to get into his, into his business and mix it up. Yeah. So,
2: yeah, I think, I think that that is just like, what you just said though, is like very hard, very hard for people, man. And I, I think yeah, that fear of spooking deer is like something I wish, like, I, did, like, I think uh, as, a, as a group of hunters, like once you realize that it is okay, you've got to help, help your fellow hunters continue to like learn that it is okay.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Like, I don't want to be the only person to know that it's okay. And I don't want people to think I'm full of shit. Right. It's okay. Yeah. It's like you can't sit here. You can't sit here and kill the same deer. You can sit here in some situations five times in the same spot and you kill that deer in the same spot. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that that's something you should try to make a habit of, but people fear it so bad that they won't hunt. They really won't even put themselves in the game. They yeah. like, see it over and over and over and over and over again. I see it with some with my friends. I was like, dude. Like, just bust out of that. Like it's fine. It's okay. Like, just uh, go in there and get crazy. Like, what do you got to lose?
0: Well, that's just it. Yeah,
2: what, what is, what, and, the, and the, I think, unfortunately, the fear is, is everybody thinks that they're going to lose their chance at a big buck, but ultimately, they've already lost their chance at the a yeah. big buck, and everybody's going to put themselves in the game.
0: And that was the one thing, once I kind of was able to, you know, I guess, absorb that and like, come to terms with it it changed mm-hmm. it changed everything you know what i mean because yeah. I, I almost look at it now that if i don't bump deer at some point then i'm not actually in the hunt because yeah, i'm no, not gotten, sure. i'm not gotten close enough you know
2: what i, I mean? think of i think and i, and I think of uh, you know well let's just let's put i use a personal example 2016 i was it was a that was the year that I really first started hunting off the ground, but then I started, you know, got later in November, I started resorting back to what I knew, and, and I honestly kind of look back at that and think of that as a wimping out type of move, but, you know, whatever. I, I did what I did, and I, I remember having this buck come through, and I shot and missed it. And uh, a few days later, and well, and so, so I ended up missing that buck, and I remember thinking, well, that was my opportunity. Like, I saw one big buck this year and like that was my chance and lo and behold, I ended up getting another shot at that buck Same general vicinity, basically the other side of the ridge and on a little bit different wind and ended up getting them. And, uh, and I look back on that now and, and I look back on all the, the other times that, you know, I was cutting tree stand that, and I was seeing these here and I've seen them from a distance and, you know, a lot of times you get encounters from a tree stand where you're like not close or whatever, but we maybe not moving as many deer. But it's like I was thinking about the times where like maybe one thought thought I was making the right move, but moved him, or I thought I was getting into the right area, and what you find a bump wall. like, and I remember you know you look at those experiences, you're like man, that was a big buck. Like no way I'm gonna get another chance. But the more aggressive you are, and the more you put yourself in the cage. I honestly, honestly believe the more opportunities you're going to get at these big bucks. Like, mm-hmm. there's more big bucks out there than everybody
0: thinks.
2: Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like everybody's just like, and, and myself included, even to this day, I'm sitting here telling you this, but I know I do it too. Right. I'm like, I a bitch. I'm I just messed up a big buck. Like, I'm never going to see a big buck again. It's like, I turn around <laughs> in a couple of days, I see another big buck. Right. You know, and it's like, I think a lot of people, you know, just again, like right? you you get you get habitual, you get content, you think, Oh, I don't want to spook anything, I don't want to mess anything up. Well, what are you really messing up? And you you know and I g I guess I guess I just think about like the times I found and I guess maybe this will help make this make a little bit more sense. When I'm looking at an area and I'm thinking, Okay, I'm going let's just say new state. New new state. This is as fresh as I can be in an area. Go to a new state, go to a new Speed public. And first thing I'm doing is, you know, cruising through it. Like, you know, slowing down when I feel, you know, get, get kind of bird doggy, you know, mm-hmm. feel like, okay, there's some fresh signs popping up. But otherwise, just cruising through, trying to see if, okay, is it worthwhile spending time in this chunk? And I'll do that. It's like five different spots. And, and throughout finding, going to five different spots, 10 different spots, whatever it may be, I end up finding these areas that are just like on. Fire, dude like just on fire. There's like so many scrapes, so many rubs, and they're hot too, man. Like, there's fresh piss in the scrapes, there's you know, shavings and rubs on the ground, there's mud on the leaves where the beer came out, swamp from that morning. Like, they're in there today. When they're in there, that packed, and you find that great spot. And I found that great spot in Ohio, in New York. I found it in, but I've you know, but I've also found it. I mean, now I've found it kind out, of. you know, you're. you're you're moving until you find max sign, yeah. I and mean, then it's time to slow everything down. And usually, even if you, you okay, so let's say you find that area, and your area has a low, low mature buck density. Uh, let's say you're in I don't know, I guess, state and say you're? Say you're I, don't know, I mean, your area, eastern yep. Pennsylvania. Yep. Let's say you're in uh, eastern Pennsylvania, and you when you're looking at this area, and you find that max deer sign, where you're like the deer density. Is You know, it's got all the factors that deer need. You know, it's got the security cover, it's got the water, it's got the food sources. You know, there's mass deer sign in there. Even if we bump the one buck that's in there that day, because that spot's holding so many does that it's potentially coming in source. you know, just so, such great, such great factors that make the deer want to be there. They're coming back. They are. And if he doesn't, another one is. Right. You know, like. It, 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 another one will, even if it seems like, you know, there's no way there's another mature buffing area. If that, if the area has that good a sign, about no matter where you're at in the country, there's probably more than one big buff using it at least some of the time. And, and I truly believe if you were to bump one or kill one out of an area, it doesn't take but a few days for another one to move right in there because they're moving more in the, in the dark than what we think. And they're smelling a lot of stuff. So, what happens in the dark, right. you know, and I, and I, but maybe that leads into you know just scent in general, and, and, and we could maybe dive into that topic a little bit, like how
3: yeah,
0: man. scent
2: can play into yeah. I definitely want to talk hunting. about
0: that. Is 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 the whole the whole scent cone thing that you you had mentioned? That, you know, just uh, you just start wherever you want to start, man. Like, so what's your approach to, to to scent whenever you're hunting on the ground? So, I don't, I don't.
2: I probably told you this on some of the other times we've recorded, but you know, I don't, I'm paying attention to like the way I smell. I mean, I'm usually pretty greasy. I think, you know, I wear my clothes pump gas, like I'm whatever. And you know, I'm just, I, my hunting clothes are pretty much my life clothes for, you know, half a months out of the year. Right. I, well, I know the deer are going to smell me, but one thing I've observed, um, and then I want to talk about one thing I've observed from the seat, say that, you know, wind coming off my body type standpoint and also I wanna talk about ground set Right. And a the little theory that I have there. Um, so don't let me forget about that ground set theory. Okay. So when I'm, I'm set up or I'm, I'm still hunting through the timber, I, I really think when I'm elevated up in a tree stand, or I'm sorry, I really think I'm down low on the ground. A lot of times my scent isn't going that far. I'm not saying you don't have a scent colour, but I don't think that scent code is huge. I think a lot of times you drop milkweed or you, maybe you're just using like a whatever, a, a scent wind indicator in, in any form. You're watching it. It gets hung up and stuff.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I think that brush, low vegetation or, or just trees, or, you know, tree trunks in general, I think it kind of masks and masks that set down where you get into a tree stand, the that set just goes forever. You're elevating it. So it's like the dispersal of the sun is like so much bigger than if you're just on one small area, especially in tight cover. And, and, and when you got a low wind morning, you really can't smell you that well. like, when you're on the ground right. because it's not, like, it's not like it's pulling down or, any, you know, if it's pulling down, and going right into the dirt. Your set cone is significantly smaller, in my opinion, when you're ground pumping, um, just period. Like I think anytime you elevate yourself, I think it. I think it when you really break it down and you think about it, it just does make more sense. Mm-hmm. Put yourself up in the air. It's gonna, you're going to have more sense around you you know, but right. it's like, but if you're on the ground, it kind of gets, kind of gets stuck. You know, I think wind gets a little bit more stuck when it's down the ground level, just because there's so many things that kind of box it in. Um, so, you know, I think, I, I, am have looked less deer by wind than I did in the tree stand ever by like a long shot, a long shot. Wow. Um, so then that, brings up, and, that, and and that's talking about more specifically setup, you know, like when I was doing a lot more ground, you know, actual setup, just like very noticeable difference of like that deer went down right, downwind at like 60 and like, you might have known something was up, but like, you didn't really know what was up. You know what I mean? You never blew, you know, and, and and they can tell something's wrong, but it's not that same like hitting the brick wall like you get when you're in a tree stand and you know, it's nothing but field or, or nothing but open timber towards them. You're elevated. They hit that. Sun. They're just like, yo, I'm getting out of here. Right. <laughs> you do it on the ground. And I, feel, I really feel like you can get right there get a lot closer on the downwind side of you. And uh, <laughs> I'm sitting in the airport and somebody just walked past and was like punching the air. It's pretty
0: funny. He he has a He has a ground scent theory, apparently. He's. Yeah. He, he's working it he was fired up yeah. he was fired up about it yeah. so yeah so then the ground set theory
2: is like um i think about um think about like what what is a deer thinking when it smells me right so like what it's kind of come down to is like what is what are these deer actually smell because like clearly if i'm walking right through the heart of vetting area and seeing a bunch of sign or I'm bumping deer or whatever, like I'm sure about even if I don't bump him directly, like he's going to smell me. He's gonna smell me in that area at some point. But he's moving through there, whether it's in daylight or in the dark. He's gonna know I was there. So I guess my theory that some about with doing this is like starting to think of it like if you were if you could smell, if you could tell everybody's bad or if a deer you know, a deer can. And it smells a coyote go through the middle of the bedding area. Do you think it's going to avoid that area? No. But does a deer want to be right around the coyote? No.
3: Right.
2: But I think if all of a sudden a coyote starts, like made a den right in the middle of the bedding area, again, that's a different story. Now they're going to probably start avoiding that area, or when they move through it, they're going to check out that area. So I think when you start habitually like hunting out of uh, you know, specific trees or like you know, maybe it's permanent tree stand set up or a, a board, or, you have a ground set up that you really like and you continue to set that up. And like at some point that you set up in that area, like at some point the buck's going to smell your permanent tree stand or your little makeshift ground blind or whatever. You know, you may be able to get two or three sits before he does that. But like at some point he's going to find it and he's going to look at it and he's going to avoid it. I think that a mature buck or deer in general can straight up tell the difference between somebody just cruising through their bedding area or somebody who's like made a habit of like sitting in there or spending know, a lot of time in there. So at least in my experience, when you just move through and you do a quick speed scout, don't worry about leaving your scent right in the bedding area, but don't do it. You know, don't make habit of it. Right. But like figure out what you need to figure out and then approach it in a direction that you feel is the safest. But it, um, like, you can't just, I don't know. I guess I just think of like, like I, I still totally support mobile tree stand setup or mobile ground setup. I do. And I'm not ever going to say that I'm going to not do them either. Right. You know, I'm not only ever going to hunt off the ground. I'm going to just do what makes the most sense in every situation. Right. But I think that, um, I guess I just think that too many people like, try to go in like almost fine or like they bank on a lot of sign that they found in February or something. They go in on uh, October 20th, they got a cold front, they go in there and they set up. Well, like if you don't know that the sign is hot right there, you're wasting your time. Yeah. 100%. You have to know. So like whether you go, okay, so let's say you have, let's say you have your climber on your back and you're going to go hunting. Don't just walk from point A, which is the truck, to your to your setup, and just set up and say, "Good enough." There was bucks in here last year. That's not good enough. Right. If you want to up your game, if you want to up your game, I feel very passionate about this. Don't do that. Right now, what you should do is go in, check a couple areas, check signs coming out of areas, get out your way in, and say, "Okay, there are here." Just like they were last year, just like I thought when I was scouting them in February. Now I'm set up. Yep. Don't just go into an area though and just set up, just because uh, it looked good or it shows you up good on a map. Or last year there was white oaks and the bucks were in there. Or two years ago you saw a big one going through here. Don't do that. I mean that's it's just one of those things. I think you know if you're really trying to maximize your efficiency in the woods, you you don't want to just go in and blind set up. You know Cause Again, you know, I'm I'm lucky enough to hunt a bunch of days out of year. If you can hunt nine days out of year, don't go out and waste your time setting up of a spot It's not there the deer aren't it. You know, and I just think that that's one advantage we have of being mobile and you know maybe even more specifically ground hunting is like. But here's also the disadvantage. So I will say one of the disadvantages, one of the things that in 2020 I really want to improve on is I look at the things that I've done as far as, like, success, and then I think about the things that I've done where I look back and i like, man, I probably went through that too fast. I probably should have thought about setting up. probably should have, like, hit the brakes a little bit and tried to break this down a little bit more. But instead, I have this, like, desire to learn more. <laughs> like, I get more. Right. More, 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 more. I just, I, I get greedy out there. And I think one thing that I want to improve on is just, like, At least finding a time where it's like, okay, no matter what happens at this time of the day, I'm going to try to like, you know, just hang loose, not not get ahead of myself, maybe really try to set up for that last hour and a half or two hours, um, you know, versus like continuing to push, continuing to cover ground because I think there's a point too where at least for myself personally, I get, I get a little greedy. I want to learn a ton, you know, I want to, if I can hit. Five potential bedding ridges versus three. I'm going to try to get the five. You know, right, right? I think sometimes that, that gets a little out of hand, but yeah,
0: yeah. But
2: I mean, at the same time, at the same time, I do believe there's benefits to that too, yeah. even if you are messing stuff up.
0: No, I a hundred 100 agree, and I've been guilty of of that myself. I mean, I just did it like you know two weekends ago. I was out trying to scout a piece that I really not hunted this particular area. I was trying to find a setup for for late season. And I was, you know, did what you just kind of, what we we were talking about, where I just got in and was like, I'm walking. I don't have a destination in mind. I have a couple spots on the map that I looked at that I thought would were interesting. I was like, I'm just going to try to hit these. And the first one that looks good is where I'm going to kind of, kind of stop. And so I found some like, okay setups, but I was like, I wonder what's down here just a little bit further. And so I just kind of kept going, kept going. And like, before I knew it, it was dark and I had yet to like, I didn't set up anywhere. And then I was walking back to the truck and I was like, but I mean, I learned a ton. That was like the whole thing where it was like, I put a bunch of info in the bank where it's like, I now have a better understanding of that area, I have a better understanding of how deer are using that particular piece of that area. And, you know, so now when I go back into hunt it, you know, when I looked at it, I was like, after you know going through it, I was like, this is really like an early October, mid October setup. That's what that, how mm-hmm. it read to me. And so now I know, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It's like, there's no. I don't need to go back in there again this year, you know, there was some sign in there that looked, you know, that looked like it was like pre-rut sign. And so I was like, I'll hit mm-hmm. it next year, you know, around the second week of October and go through it and see if I find if, if the sign that I saw now is, is hot during that timeframe. And, and,
2: and what you just, what you just said right there, though, key. And, and I know, you know it, but for those listening, what he just said is key because like, you're gonna go into this theory, and you're gonna make sure, though, that what your theory was holds true. And I think so many people just bite on that theory that they made. And I, and, and the reason I feel so strongly about this too is because I feel that I feel like I did this all the time. Oh, hundred percent. Would
0: I would bite so
2: hard. I'd be like, Oh no, no, that's nap. Yep, that sign was made November nineteenth. That's when I'm coming back. And here's like, what the hell am I talking about? Right. Like I've got, I've just bit on some theory that I made up in my head when like, there's so many little factors that, you know, it was going to give year and, and, and with hunting pressure and food source change, crop rotation, um, you know, rainfall, honestly, rainfall is a huge thing that like huge factor that's going to change where deer are. So like every, every little aspect of it, like you have to just go back and make sure and I, and I know you will, but you know, just. The key is, in my opinion, there's a lot of guys, yeah, are overlooking when they're going in and they're hunting, it's the area. It's a area. They bite on a on a time frame, and that's not that's not a good habit to trade either. Because again, if he's not if he's not there at that time frame, and he's a quarter mile down, you know, down the ridge or you know a couple hollows over or whatever, spending his time there, and you are not in the game. Like he's not on October 27th on your one day out of a two week time frame, huh? If you're not in that same, if you're not within, you know, 200 yards of him, you're not even in the game because he's not going to just like run three ridges over him. You know, he may be in the same woods as the deer. You probably are in the same woods as the
0: deer. Right.
2: But like, but like if you're not right on him, like you gotta be right on him. And like, I really, you know, as, as far as, as far as mobile, mobile, mobile goes, you know i think that the ground hunting thing is, is super important and then well by, by the way by the way i don't know how long you like are wanting to talk but i got i still have a whole other hour so like i'm <laughs> good to talk for like a, as long as you want i'm just like i'm nice. enjoying it so
0: nice yeah i'm like down, I'm however down. long you want to roll yeah i'm down man okay. I, I didn't know if maybe you wanted a good talk to air punching guy maybe you guys could rap about some scent no. and whatever <laughs> <laughs> good.
2: It a, it was a pretty funny pretty funny site but yeah I, I mean some, there's just a lot of things that I feel like I'll, not, I'll never be able to cover at all but there's some things that I feel like could really help people that are interested in because I want I really 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 want to help inspire people to try to do something different I think uh, you know there's yeah I mean I guess I guess uh just trying to get people out there and giving it a shot is at, at important
0: yeah no 100 percent. any
2: way I can help you know, Tell people like my failures. It's like it makes it way easier to, when right. you're starting to get into it to just be like that's what I'm gonna avoid.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I mean it, it's. Uh, I, I think giving people different options and letting them know that you know the 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 barrier to entry isn't as great as they might think. You know what I mean? I think is Im- important. Yeah, because I think you know I'll just be perfectly honest. Like sometimes for me, like the way I'm looking at it this year, you know, and, and adding ground hunting to my to my arsenal is is really for a couple of reasons one is because i think there's some setups that i think that i can have that are really good in some places that i've scouted that i think the ground would be better for a bunch of different reasons whether it's shot angle whether it's because because it's only a really conducive to a ground setup the other guys aren't really hunting it so it's not getting pressure so i think deer are going to congregate in that general area which i'll verify through sign you know and, and scouting hot sign like the day, the day that i'm hunting you know or Because, you know, I'm a working dude in the mornings, like there's some setups I could run in the mornings because I'm not trying to get in and out of a tree. So I don't have to take nearly as much stuff with me. It's walking with my bow, a ghillie jacket on and set up and then I can get out quickly to be able to make it back to work, to make it to work before nine o'clock. You know what I mean? So for me, some of it's like an efficiency game too all right folks that's a wrap for today's show i'd like to thank all of you for listening if you haven't yet please head over to itunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast we'd be super appreciative if you do those two things for us and before i shut this thing down i need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible tethered exodus outdoor gear skull brew coffee company gumble usa boots obsession bows ramcat broadheads trophy Taker Rests, and dead down wing and until next time we'll see y'all